You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, good morning. My name's Chris, and um, as we are continuing on in the book of Exodus, we come to the commands that... uh, start to do more with people, right? The first, the first four were, were about God, and then last week we learned about what it is to honor our mother and our father and to care about the relationship that we have with our parents. Um, and then we get into the just kind of don't do this sort of aspect of the Ten Commandments. And, and as we, we get to this commandment of, of you shall not murder um, I think that we can all just kind of check out, right? You're like, well, that's like the easiest one to, to not break, right? I don't think anybody in this room, you know, I guess, pardon me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody in this room has killed anybody, right? We don't have any murderers in here. So yeah, I guess uh, we're good, right? Does that mean shortest, shortest sermon ever in history? No. Um, so as we, as we are, are talking about these commandments, God is making this shift here from this is who I am and this is the way that I behave and this is the way that you are to interact and view me. And then your interaction with your mother and your father is a representation of that, of how you honor a God who is holy and just and right and perfect. And now he's going to talk to us about what does it look like to interact with other people, other people in your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, those that you may have no relationship with at all. What does it look like to interact with those people? And so the command is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. Pretty simple, right? Four short words, you shall not murder. Or as the the King James Version puts it, you shall not kill. Um, And so with that, there can be all of this confusion of, of well, kill, what does that mean? I can't kill anything? Steve and I were just ch- talking back there, chatting a little bit of like, so it says, you shall not kill. What, what does that mean? Does that mean all killing is against the rules? Like, does that mean I can't go out and, and kill a cow and cook it up and have a nice rack of ribs and a steak? Because that's killing. Or does that mean, what does that mean? Where, where is the distinction here? Well, in the Hebrew language, this command is, is one word. It is lo Radzak, which means do not kill. And specifically in the Hebrew language, there are eight different words for killing. And this one in particular just pertains to murder. So murder in the aspect of, of like manslaughter or passionate rage, taking a life unjustly, right? And so in order to, to look at this and understand what, what God is saying here and what, what does he mean, we we have to go outside of the book of Exodus a little bit. And as we do that, I think the best place to start is to go all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. So the inherent in the command, you shall not murder, implies the sanctity of creation and the sanctity of human life. 
So in the book of Genesis, it starts out where God is is speaking these words and he's saying um, all of what he has created. It says, God said um, he created the heavens and the earth and the the expanse between them. He created the, the stars and the sky and the moon and the water and the depths and all of this amazing majesty and beauty as, as Christy was, was talking about in her congregational prayer. Here in the Pacific Northwest, we can see the amazement of God's creative um, attributes and the way that he created this world and the way that he made it, right? You cannot go outside and look out onto the, to the bluff and, and see Forest Park and not see this creative beauty of God. Or you cannot go out and look at Mount Hood and just be in awe and wonder of this amazing creator who made such a unique creation of a mountain, right? And so God, he, he made all these things and he saw that it was good. As it talks about in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 25, he talks about the creation, the, what he did of all these other things, the animals and the wildlife and the fish and the birds. And he said that it was good. But then God made a distinction. He did something in t- uh, very different here. He, he then, after he had created all of these things, he created man. As it says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, they're going to be on the screen here. We'll read it. And then God said, um, let us make man in our image after our likeness And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to you every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given to you um, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. See, God created all these things, and then he made a distinction about man. Man was unique. Man was created specifically in the image of God. So there is a difference that he is saying here. He's saying, yes, I have made and created all the beauties and wonders that there are in all of the universe, the stars in the sky, the beauty that there is, the the creeping and crawling things, the fish and the animals. But you, you man, you woman, you're different. You are like me in a way that everything else I have created is not and never will be. You bear my image. You are my people. And I, I love the, as it says in, in chapter 2, verse 7, it also gives a little bit of distinction here in the way that God created man. See, as God is, is creating all the rest of the things, he, it's by his words, right? The, and that's why we talk about the power of our words. God's words are so powerful that he could even just speak into existence the land and the sea and the birds and all that there is. But with man, God did something different. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust 
from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. See, the, the implication here in forming something, especially forming something from the dust, is that God used his own hands and he took it like a potter would a piece of clay and he shaped and he molded and he made the man in his image. There was a much more intimate aspect in that uh, creation than there was in the speaking of the words and speaking other things into existence. God was intentional. God was intricately involved. And then after he had formed them with his own hands, he breathed his own breath of life into man. Did he, he didn't do that to any of the other creations, right? He didn't breathe his own life into any of the other creations. There's a distinction here about man, about the sanctity of a human life. There is a, a special attribute that man has that no other creature has. And even in here, God said, I gave you all of this to to subdue, to take care of, to steward well for my glory. And when you are hungry, you can eat. That means you can take a, a fruit or a vegetable and you can eat it. You can slaughter an animal and feed yourself, right? There are all these things. God created it all and he said that it was good. And then as we know, as the story goes on, there is the fall. Adam and Eve, they, they disobey God and they choose to listen to the temptation and, and the twisting of God's word that Satan used. And they are, are taken out of the Garden of Eden. They're taken out of this beauty of God's creation and this, this perfection of the way that life was meant to be. But they carry out the command that God had to be fruitful and multiply. And in being fruitful and multiplying, they have children, Cain and Abel. And as many of us know, the story of Cain and Abel um, they, we, we'll read it here in just a moment, but God created all this beauty, all this majesty. There was a fall. And then even, not even four chapters into the book of the Bible, there is a murder. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, it says, And again, she, speaking of Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He's saying that you must rule over this temptation to, to do wrong. You must rule over this anxiety and this frustration that you have in your heart that your brother was accepted in a way that you weren't, right? I think that we all can associate, can, can associate or empathize with that feeling of somebody else um, getting something that we desire, right? They both came before God and they wanted to be accepted and have a blessing before God because of what they brought before him, but, but God had favor for one and not for the other. I think we can understand that as we come to maybe a friend or a family member and, and we come in the way that we saw somebody else come and we're like, all right, this is going to work out. It's going to be great. And when we come before them, they, they don't really have a regard for what we have done. 
because they know that our intentions are just to be accepted for doing a specific thing, not that out of the the goodness of our heart or the fruitfulness of a desire to please and to interact with the person as we come to them. And that can cause us to be upset, right? That can cause us to be angry or frustrated. And as as the story continues here, what what happens? Cain gets pissed, right? He, He can't control himself. And he rises up against his brother as they are in the field, and he murders him right? He strikes him dead, hides the body, and then just goes along about his way. And then as God comes in and, and, and he tries to do the same thing that his parents did, he tries to hide, he tries to ignore, and he tries to just shrug off what happened. God says, hey, um, where's your brother? Oh, am I my brother's keeper? What, what do I have to do with, with him? He's not my responsibility. And God says, well, you are responsible for him. But even the, the earth cries out to me because of the blood that you have spilt of his. I know what you have done. And the penalty should have been death for Cain in that moment. But even here in the very beginning of the scriptures, as we saw, God gave grace to Adam and Eve by covering them and, and caring for them as he sent them out of the garden. God does a very similar thing here with Cain. Instead of taking Cain's life, what he does is he gives him the opportunity to flee. He says, uh, Cain, Cain replies, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, if somebody comes and they find me, they, I will surely be murdered. They know that I did an unjust thing and that justice is to take my life in return. How, how will I survive, God? And God says, I will mark you that whoever comes upon you shall not kill you. They shall not take your life. And you can flee, and you can go to another place, and you will have refuge. And so that's what Cain does. God provides grace for him in not taking his life, in allowing him to flee from this place, to go to another place, which specifically he ends up in the land of Nod, east of Eden, so that his life can be preserved. The grace of God in providing refuge. See, God created everything in the world, and in that, he had intentionality and specificity with man, that they are his image bearer, and that they reflect him in all that they do. So there's a sanctity to human life, right? Like, we're not supposed to take life for no reason. We're not just supposed to kill and murder without cause. So that brings us back to the book of Exodus, as we are in um, Chapter 20, verse 13, it says, you shall not murder. Well, okay, so life is is sacred. Life is, is special. We are image bearers of the one who created all of life. That's that's great, but man, there are some circumstances that take place and and things happen. So, like, what does what does that mean? Does that mean that we are all all gonna be guilty and and have recompense recompense of our lives being taken? See, the beauty of of what God does here is he gives these specific commands and he knows that people have a hard time understanding what's behind it, right? You know, we we all get this. We're like, okay, now you said that, but what if I do all these other things? Like, I'm not specifically doing that. Does that count? Can I I get away with this action and, and still not be guilty of that action? Well, God walks through that as he's talking about, um, what does it look like to, to murder? And, and in God's command, a murder is an unlawful, premeditated, 
immoral killing of another person. As uh, one commentator, Matthew Henry, says, it's, it's having hatred towards a person in such a way that all you are seeking is revenge against them. And so an example of that is in Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, where God says, Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hands, then I will appoint for you a place to which you he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take from him, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. God's making a distinction here. If you are having an unlawful, premeditated taking of another person's life, then you are breaking the command of you shall not murder. Right? We have, we have similar laws even in our lands today. You know, we say that we have come so far, but we still can't get past the command of God to not murder, right? So we have specific consequences if somebody murders another person. They are removed from community, from the general population, and they spend a very long portion of the rest of their life in jail, locked away. And in some states, if, if the, the, the crime is heinous enough, that their life is actually taken through capital punishment, Right? There is, there is a life for a life. There is a, a gravity that we have with murder and the consequence of that. We don't get just to, to take a life because we want to take a life. Now you might say, well, well there might be a situation um, where, where it's warranted, right? Like, I, somebody's, somebody's breaking into my house. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just let them do whatever they want and maybe harm me and, and not do anything? Well, God talks about that too. Self-defense. Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 through 3, where he says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So the wording here is a little confusing, but what God is saying is that if you are in threat of harm, the example of somebody has broken into your house and it is the middle of the night and you have no opportunity of identifying this individual who broke into your house, God is saying that there is a right to defend yourself. And that defense of yourself may end result in the taking of that thief's life. But he also says that there is a distinction. If somebody breaks into your house during the daytime, you can see who they are. You can identify that person. See, if there is an opportunity to preserve life and still give justice, that's what God is saying here. If you can identify the perpetrator, if you can identify the thief who came into your house, you are to take him before the elders and the community, and you are to testify to what they have done so that they might be judged justly. Right? We have similar and varying to very much degree um, laws in our land of stand your ground or self-defense or what that looks like and how you can take care of yourself and your family and what is okay and what is not okay. As individuals try to take that to an extreme and, and say, well, I was scared for my life even though somebody was running away and fleeing. That's murder, right? Whereas if somebody is coming in and coming at you and you have made yourself known and you have established that they are not welcome and they are to leave and that you will defend yourself and they continue to come at you, 
that's different. Right? There's a distinction that God is making here. The action of self-defense is permissible, but it is to be a last resort. We are first to seek peace with those who attack us, which goes into the idea of, of, of war, right? All throughout the scriptures, there are wars that happen over and over and over again, especially with God's people as he has brought them out of the land and he is trying to take them to the promised land. They go through all of these different spaces, right? They're twisting and they're turning and they're going here and they're going there. And these lands have been populated. And what does God do as he's, he's bringing them through there? Well, as God is bringing them through there, he tells their leader, Moses or Joshua or whoever the leader is at that time, to go to the leader of the land they are going through and to ask for safe passage, to seek peace, to ask to be able to go through without harm, that they are just coming through. They are sojourners in a foreign land just wanting to go home, to go to the home that God has given them. See, their first action is to seek peace. And then if they are met with retaliation, if they are met with disregard, then God allows them and equips them to defend themselves as they are journeying to their land. So in this, God is saying that that war at times can be permissible, but war should be a last resort. You should seek peace. You should seek mutual terms of agreement. You should not just go in and say, might makes right. I have the biggest weapons. Do what I want what he's doing here. God's people did not have the biggest weapons of warfare, right? But God used them as he brought them into their place for his glory. <clears throat> now, what about, what about accidents, right? Like, accidents happen. There can be a crash. There could be um, uh, different things like that that take place, and, and a life could be lost. What about that? Well, God speaks to carelessness and negligence as well. In 21, 28 through 32, God says, When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with accordingly to the same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So what's, what's going on here? You know, we don't, a lot of us here, we don't own oxen, right? We're not keeping the field and worrying about our cattle breaking through a fence and roaming free. I mean, unless it's a chicken here in North Portland, right? You're not really concerned, and those don't do a lot of damage. But, <laughs> um, but God is talking about here carelessness and negligence. He's saying that you have a responsibility for things that are under your care, maybe a child, a livestock, a motor vehicle. And if you are not taking care of those things in a proper way and death happens, somebody dies, you have a responsibility for that. You do not get to say, well, I, I didn't know there was a hole in my fence 
and that the, the, the ox got out and it killed somebody. So I'm sorry that that happened, but I'm not responsible. No, there is a responsibility because that is your property. You are the one to put the fence up around the property. You're to maintain that property and care for it to protect another life, right? You cannot just get off on the, on the idea of, I didn't do it, it was an accident, when there is negligence involved. So say, for example, I was uh, uh, perusing Facebook recently, and I was watching this video that a friend posted about a cyclist. And this cyclist uh, was out on a bike ride, and he was coming down a hill. And this was a professional cyclist who was well-equipped on a bicycle, and he knew how to handle himself. And he was talking about how as he was coming down this hill in his lane, doing his own thing, going 30 miles an hour down the road, which you know, seems fast, but when you're equipped and you know what you're doing, it can be safe, uh, a car came around this blind curve, and the car, he said, felt like it was going 70 miles an hour. But instead of staying in their lane, that car, straight shot, cut the curve into his lane. Thankfully, this individual was equipped enough as a professional cyclist to get out of the way, lay down his bike so that he did not die, and skid off to the side of the road. Now, if that man had died, that individual driving the car would have been guilty of murder because they were being negligent. They were not following the rules of the road. They did not stay in their lane. They were driving too fast. Who knows, possibly they were on their phone text messaging, whatever. They were negligent, and so they would be due the penalty of taking a life. We have responsibility, right? Bring it a little closer to home. Here in St. John's, there has been quite the uproar over a specific street. Fessenden and St. Louis. There, there are only two signals that intersect on that road, one up here by Lombard and the other all the way down at Six Point. Other than that, it is a straight thoroughfare with no stopping. Over the last several years, there have been a number of injuries and deaths by people who are on foot walking about because drivers have been negligent, not paying attention, speeding around individuals, driving faster than they are supposed to, and so they take a life. That may seem like an accident, but it is also negligence and carelessness, and it is murder. And as such, they, there should be a just penalty for something like that, right? But see, God is also gracious, and he is merciful in the midst of his justice. See, God defines what murder is. He defines what, what carelessness is and negligence, but he also defines what a city of refuge could be. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, God talks about these, these cities of refuge. And we, we don't really know about cities of refuge here, so we're going to talk a little bit about it, and we can unpack it a little bit. But in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, God says, This is the provision for the manslayer. See, God's making a distinction between murder and, and manslaying, the, the, an accidental death, something that might happen in that regard. Um, and he is saying, Who by fleeing may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally, without having hatred of him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips in the handle, strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live. 
lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long, and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. See, there are instances of accidental death. No intention at all. You're out, you're, you're doing your job, and, and, and an accident happens at work, and, and somebody dies. Or you're out in the forest chopping down a tree, and the tree falls the wrong way, and it falls on somebody. It's an accident. But people could still get enraged and want to have justice against the individual who was there, right? And so what is God doing? He's saying, there, there's a consequence, but I'm going to show you grace. You are still going to get to live, but there's a consequence. You can no longer live in your town that you live in. You must flee to this specific designated area that I am giving to you as a people so that your life may be preserved. I'm caring for you, right? He gives a little more detail about what murder is and and what it looks like to have these places of refuge in Numbers chapter 35, verses 16 through 29, where it says, But if he struck down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. He's going to go on and he's going to talk a little about the distinction of murder here. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. That's a big one, right? Who in here would feel uh, comfortable taking the life of another individual who was guilty of murder? I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to carry that weight. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or in enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait or, cur- or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who anointed, who anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer shall not at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood." For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute and a rule for you throughout the generations in all their dwelling places. Now, I know that was a long section of text, but God is is being specific here. If there is intentionality, if there is hatred, if there is malice, if there is ill will in the heart as you take another's life, that is murder, and there is consequences of that. But if there is no ill intention and there is an accident or a tragedy that takes place, I will show you grace. 
and I will give you mercy, and I will provide a city of refuge for you that your life may be preserved. Amen to that, right? (laughs) That's an amazing thing. And in that, he's even saying that there's there's somebody who's going to be a judge in that process. Here in Numbers, it talked about that if that situation happens, you go before the congregation and the elders, and they will determine the outcome. They will determine the consequence. He's giving this grace, but there's also this tension of somebody else is making the decision for you. <clears throat> See, so we can, we can think, well, I haven't, I haven't killed somebody I haven't taken the physical action, or if I have, it was a totally unintentional accident, and I am guilty of no ill will. And we think, well, we're good, right? We have, we have kept the standard of this commandment. We have not murdered anybody in any way that was malice or with contrite. Well, then we go and we look at the book of Matthew. As God sends Jesus, and he is He's on the Sermon on the Mount. He is expounding these beatitudes, these things of clarification of the law, right? Clarification of these Ten Commandments and all these commands that the people of Israel had been instructed to live by. And as he comes to this section, he talks about anger. In chapter 5 of the book of Matthew, verses 21 through 27, he says, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now what... What is, what is he talking about here, right? He's doing some clarification. As we've talked about, he's saying, you have heard that it was said, murder is wrong. You know the consequences. You know the situations. And you say, I'm good. I haven't done that, God, right? I haven't had an uncontrolled outburst of rage against somebody. I haven't lashed out physically and tried to take somebody's life. I haven't looked to inflict pain or hurt upon another individual. <laughs> But God is distinguishing. He's, he's going to be, now he's talking about intention, right? That, that big word, intention, behind your actions. Or even intention behind no action at all, right? God's saying here, you don't have to have taken a life to have broken the command not to murder. The anger that you hold in your heart against somebody can cause you to have taken their life in your mind. Taken their life in spirit ended the relationship on the ultimate terms. It's having this, uh, you may not physically do it, but it's having this desire of inflicting pain or hurt because you are suffering. Having a vendetta, holding a grudge, or um, just wanting to see ill will done to somebody else. Right? 
You know the, the timeless saying, if looks could kill? Because they're talking about the intent behind those looks, right? <clears throat> See, this, um, I wrestle with this one. You know, I've never killed somebody. I don't even know if I've ever hit somebody before. Um, but as a parent, my patience is tested continually. And in particularly with my younger son, um, we just, we battle wills. And I have been challenged in the midst of this with, I, I have not laid my hands on my children, but in my mind, I have laid my hands on my children because as they have chosen to not respond appropriately, if they have chosen to not honor their mother and their father in a way, father in a way that I would appreciate, I get angry and I want to lash out and I will turn a cold shoulder, or I will get frustrated and want to withhold something from them, or I will yell at times. That was the most terrifying experience the first time I yelled at my child. He did nothing wrong that he knew of. He was acting like a baby, and I screamed, and he immediately started crying, and I felt terrible, right? He didn't know the difference. (laughs) He was asking for something, but he didn't know how to use words, and I lashed out. In those situations, I was breaking the heart of this command, right? I was having ill will towards my child, right? I was having frustration towards my child that was wanting to be uncontrolled. Grace of God that it was controlled. Praise be to him, right? Praise be to God that parents by and large can withstrain themselves or there wouldn't be very many children in this world, right? Uh, uh, but, but parenting, that's, a, that's an example. A lot of us in here have been parents. Uh, the other one that has recently, uh, recently gotten me is um, driving. Majority of us know how to drive or have driven, right? Um, I have not experienced um, the, the action of road rage and going after somebody, but I have been pointed out to me by my older son, who, who has very good listening ears as we are in the car, that I will make comments as we are driving, talking to the driver who pulls in front of me when I may not have wanted, or slows down when I am in a hurry, or cuts me off in a way that I don't appreciate. And he says, Daddy, who are you talking to? <laughs> and I say, I'm talking to myself, son, or I'm talking to the driver in front of me. And he says, Dad, they can't hear you. (laughs) How convicting is that, right? My five-year-old is saying, Dad, what you are doing is quite silly, right? You're frustrated with a person you have never met, will probably never see again, and are never going to have a conversation with, right? I'm holding ill will against them. I'm frustrated, and so I want to vent. I want to get it out. Um, you know, there could be accidents. Recently, we were, um, we were rear-ended. My, my children and I were in the car, and we were, we were driving up to Target to do some shopping, as most parents do with their children. And um, we had just gotten a, a new minivan because we have a third on the way, and we needed more space. And so the vehicle is like two weeks old, and we're in traffic, and we're driving, and we get rear-ended. And as I'm getting ready to get out of the car, I am just so frustrated. And I just like, I'm ready to get out and just lay into this person who rear-ended me as they were changing lanes. But for whatever reason, the peace of God came across me and I got out and we were able to have a civilized conversation and exchange information and go along the process. But how often does that not happen? 
right? How often have we seen incidents on the news where there is an accident and somebody gets beat up because of it? Or somebody pulls out a firearm to threaten and show their might because they don't want to be um, in that situation. That's breaking of this commandment. That is erupting with anger. You know, I think about it as um, my, my kids are into dinosaurs and volcanoes and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think of it as like a sleeping and dormant volcano, right? We're walking around and on the outside, it doesn't look like anything is happening. But inside, the pressure is just mounting and boiling. And if it spews, it is just going to cause pain and destruction all around it, right? It would not be pretty. <clears throat> but then he also goes on and he talks about here, um, not just intention of the heart, but language specifically. Something that may seem really trivial to us. He says, even um, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, why, why is that such a big thing, right? Like calling somebody a fool or that they're foolish? That seems like a pretty severe consequence to be in the, the fire of hell for that sort of situation. Well, what he's talking about here is an attack on the character and the personality of another person that is not justified right? He's talking about our words coming from a place of hatred and, and being vile towards that individual and kind of masking them with subtlety. He's saying that, that words matter. And even if they're words that might seem soft and, and well-packaged, the intent behind them could be disastrous, right? What we say and how we speak to one another matters. The intention with the words that we use with one another matters. Our speech carries meaning. It matters. It makes me think of, um, there's this, this song by an artist, Andy Minio, called Still Bleeding, and he's talking about in there the way that our words carry weight. And in one of the sections of it, it says, you know, as most of the um, our words go to our kids, or as we heard growing up, sticks and stones may break some bones. Then it goes on and it says, and some words scar forever. You're hard forever. You make it hard to get up. It hurt people, hurt people, you see. We're just bleeding, and you wanted me to bleed too. You're hurting, so you want me to hurt. <clears throat> And he goes on to describe it in, a, in an amazing way that I think gets to the point is that like a car running into a brick wall is how your words crashed into my heart. What was so minor to you was so major to me. Lord, I wait for these words like, I'm sorry, forgive me. I'm still bleeding. I'm still bleeding. I'm still bleeding still bleeding. The words that we use and the intent that we use them with can cause immense pain to individuals. Pain that is on the level of the physical plane of being in a car wreck. And those words that we use are a breaking of the intention and the heart behind the command not to murder. So what does God do? What does Jesus clarify in here? As he's clarifying this and the, the anger and the words and the intent behind our actions and the, the harboring that we have in our heart, he says, if you are in conflict with somebody, if you are coming to the Lord to offer your sacrifice and you are in conflict and you have anger against your brother, 
it is more important for you to leave that sacrifice at the altar and go and be reconciled than it is to make the offering first. If you were on the way to court because you were in a battle with your brother or your neighbor, it is of your best interest to reconcile before you get to the judge who will judge you. You see, at the fall, all of mankind became indwelt with sin. And as a result of that, we all become guilty and are guilty for a perfect and a just and righteous God. We're all deserving of blood guilt in some way, whether it is from our physical actions or the intentions of our heart and the way that we interact with somebody. And rather than relying upon the mediator of a congregation or the elders to find refuge, God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to be our perfect and ultimate mediator to provide grace to us, to provide mercy, to provide forgiveness to those who run to him as their refuge, not to some city, not to some special hiding place or house, but who run to him. See, God is saying, seek reconciliation with him while there is still life in you. For at the end of your days, when you come before the pearly gates, as we like to call them, there is no more account being made for your life. When you get there, God will judge. And what we want God to see when he makes that judgment, we want him to see a person covered in the blood of Jesus. We want him to see the grace that flowed from the side of our Savior hanging on the cross that we might be washed of all of our broken transgression and rebellion against him, the shame of taking a life, the shame of the anger that we have inside of, the guilt of that, the depravity of who we tend to be in our dark times and in our dark places. We want him to look and to see the blood of his son. And as he sees the blood of his son that covers us, His judgment is not guilty. Welcome. Come into the kingdom of heaven and be with me forever. But for those that are not covered in the blood, there's no negotiating. It's judgment. And the judgment is separation. Eternal separation from a perfect and righteous God. So while we are here, while we still have breath in our lungs and we still have cognizance of thought, Let us run to the perfect mediator. Let us seek refuge in the one who is able to save, the only one who is able to save, and that is Jesus. And as we close, we get to take the opportunity to come to these tables. We get to come to these tables and we get to take communion. We do this every week. Communion is a response to the gracious act of Jesus who is crucified on the cross on our behalf. We get to take the bread as a symbol of the body that was broken. We get to dip it in the, blood, the wine or the juice as a symbol of the, the blood that covers us. And we get to remember and we get to repent and we get to renew our devotion to God. And as we come, come with a heart of repentance. Come with a heart seeking of that forgiveness that God so freely gives. Let us pray. Father God, we, um, we confess that while we think we, we hold the standard of your law, um, 
in the integrity of our heart, we know that we rebel against you. We know that we want to do our own thing, that we want to run away, that we harbor anger and resentment and ill will against people. And that that is on the same level of, of this command which you have given to not murder. But God, we thank you that you sent Jesus, and that you sent Jesus to clarify, you sent Jesus to, um, to open our eyes to the truth of not just our physical actions, but the words and the thoughts and the intent of our heart. God, help us to run to you as our city of refuge. Help us to run to you as the one who can cover all of our transgression and that can give us life that we may live abundantly in the land, that we may have communion and fellowship with you, the only one who is able to save. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.